Please join with me as I pray our prayer of illumination. Gracious Lord, like Nicodemus, we come to the word with many questions. Like the Pharisees, we can be captivated by correctness, intent on right answers. As we turn to your word, Spirit of God, do not let our desire for information dominate our need for transformation. Let us hear the word and be moved to greater faith and obedience. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. The Old Testament scripture reading today is from Psalm 81, verse 1, and then verses 10 through 16. You'll find it on pages 530 and 531 of the Pew Bibles if you want to read along. Psalm 81, verse 1, 10 through 16. Sing aloud to God our strength. Shout for joy to the God of Jacob. I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. But my people did not listen to my voice. Israel would not submit to me. So I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own counsels. That, oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways, then I would quickly subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their foes. Those who hate the Lord would cringe before him, and their doom would last forever. I would feed you with the finest of the wheat, and with honey from the rock I would satisfy you. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In our New Testament lesson, we continue as we have in the Gospel of Luke. We will read from the 14th chapter, uh, the first verse as an introduction, and then verses 7 through 14. So listen now for uh, the word that Jesus gives the church. On one occasion when Jesus was going to the house of a leader of the Pharisees to eat a meal on the Sabbath, they were watching him closely. When he noticed how the guests chose the places of honor, He told them a parable. When you are invited by someone to a wedding banquet, do not sit down at the place of honor in case someone more distinguished than you has been invited by your host. And the host who invited both of you may come and say to you, give this person your place. And then in disgrace, you would start to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit down at the lowest place. So that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. He said also to the one who had invited him, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors in case they may invite you in return, and you would be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, 
and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So one summer when I was about five years old, I went outside to my front yard and I could hear kids laughing. Something fun was happening somewhere and I set out to try to find out what it was and I pretty soon found out exactly what it was. I saw that a few houses down the street on the other side of an intersection that I was not supposed to cross, a kid was having a birthday party in his driveway. It was just a few kids, maybe three or four, plus the birthday boy, and they had set up a kiddie pool in the driveway there, and then they had turned over an old metal trash can, and they, were, they had pushed it up to the kiddie pool, and they were using it as a platform to jump into that pool of water. And it was an incredibly hot day. And it all looked great to me. I totally wanted in to this party. The problem was I did not know that little birthday boy. In fact, I didn't know any of the kids at that party. And I certainly didn't know the mom who was lifeguarding the whole festive event. But childhood innocence can overcome a lot. And when employed correctly, can also be a convincing legal defense. So I went home and I put on my bathing suit and I grabbed a towel and I put on my flip-flops and I headed back out, bolstered with the hope of a young boy in summer, right? And I walked right up to this woman whom I did not know and I put a big smile on my face and I said, am I invited? (laughs) And I guess she didn't have the heart to say no, even though that was the answer, So I hopped in the pool, and I joined the remainder of the party, and my mom probably had to do some damage control in the neighborhood later, but it was all worth it. And that was a long time ago, but it's one of those childhood memories, those early memories that kind of worms its way into your subconsciousness and stays there. And maybe the reason that I still remember that story is the same reason that Jesus felt compelled to teach the disciples about party etiquette in the kingdom of God. Who gets to come, how guests should handle themselves, how hosts should act. Such manners send powerful messages about how people are valued or not valued, about who matters more and who matters less. And all I can say is what I remember And what I remember was that I had not been a friend. I had been a stranger. I hadn't been invited, at least not at first. But that family let me in anyway. And I have never forgotten it. I do kind of wonder what's happening to etiquette books these days. Emily Post's heirs probably did pretty well for a while, but I do hope that they have invested their money wisely because I bet etiquette book sales are waning. The art of the thank you note, the hostess gift, the engaging dinner party, that art still exists, but fewer and fewer people seem to care about the niceties. Fred Astaire once said, the hardest job kids face today is learning good manners without seeing any. Fred Astaire died 30 years ago I don't think anyone would say that things have gotten better over those years. 
fact is that manners do matter because they involve how we treat one another. And that's especially true in the kingdom of God. Manners matter because how we treat one another matters. And when Jesus taught about the kingdom, the lesson almost always focused on how we should treat one another. Jesus had a lot to say about proper etiquette in the kingdom of God. And today's scripture is a great example. This morning's reading is structured around two basic rules. They're not as much parables as they are teaching of of, uh, values. These are ethical lessons that are both practical and spiritual. Rule number one, at a party, do not claim the best seats for yourselves. It's good practical advice that helps us avoid shame and embarrassment. It's embarrassing to claim a prime spot only to be publicly redirected down by the host. And the loftier spiritual principle that's behind it is also valuable. It's the understanding that no Christian disciple should ever think too highly of himself or herself. The obvious pattern is the one described in Philippians 2, where Paul writes that we should, in humility, regard others as better than ourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests, Paul writes, but to the interests of others. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient even to the point of death, even death on a cross. In other words, not even Jesus dared to take the best seat, even though it was rightfully his. Instead, he took the worst seat, the seat of suffering, the seat of shame. And because of his faithfulness, God moved him up to the very head of the class, although Paul says it much more eloquently. Therefore, God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of Of God the Father. Rule number two when you throw a party, do not invite friends and powerful people. Instead, invite people who can never pay you back. As practical advice, this one is a little harder for us to grasp, although we have to admit it might make for some more interesting parties from time to time. But there's no question that it is a practical, ethical application of a well-established spiritual truth that the kingdom of God reverses the normal order of things and even turns them upside down. In the kingdom of God, the powerful are shown to be weak and the weak find their strength. In the kingdom of God, those who exalt themselves are humbled and those who humble themselves are exalted. In the kingdom of God, the outsiders, those who are rarely, if ever, invited to anything, suddenly become the guests of honor. There's another story that I've never forgotten, another story that kind of needled its way into my subconsciousness and has never left it. I heard this one when I was 19. 
I was at a college conference at Windy Gap. Tony Campolo, the evangelist, was the speaker, and he told a story about a time when he had been invited to speak at a conference in Honolulu, Hawaii. The time difference had totally messed him up. He had come from the East Coast, gone all the way to Hawaii. At 3 a.m., he finally gave up. He couldn't sleep. He just said, I'm going to get up, and I'm going to go get something to eat. And the only place open at that hour was a little greasy spoon, and it had earned that distinction. Everything was greasy. Even the menu was greasy. So when the cook, dressed in a dirty white apron, lumbered over to take his order, Campolo thought it best to just ask for a cup of coffee and a donut. Which, by the way, the man just reached in and grabbed. You know, like he didn't even use the tongs, right, you know? Um, But right about then, as the donut was grubbing its way over to his chair, the door flew open and about eight or nine rowdy women came stumbling in. Campolo had been the only customer, so he had taken a seat right in the center of the counter. So this wave of women parted, and they took their seats all along the counter on either side of him. So now this jet-lagged preacher was completely surrounded by women that a Victorian preacher would have called sinners or perhaps fallen women. Campolo said he tried to make himself very small. But he couldn't help but overhear their loud conversations. And a woman a few seats down from him leaned over and addressed the whole crowd. She said, hey, everybody, tomorrow is my birthday. I'm going to be 39 years old. And right away, the woman right next to her just said, so what? So it's your birthday. What do you want me to do about it? You don't expect us to throw you a party or something, do you? And the woman said, why do you have to be so mean? I don't expect you to do anything. I've never had a party in my whole life. Why would I expect one now? And after a while, the women cleared out, and they left the preacher alone with the greasy guy in the apron. He asked him, do they come in here every night? The cook said, yeah, those girls, yeah, they come in here a lot. The woman that was sitting right down there, does she come in here every night? The cook said, Agnes? Yeah, Agnes comes in here pretty much every night. Why do you ask? I heard her say her birthday is tomorrow. So why don't you and I set this place up and we'll throw her a birthday party tomorrow night? And the cook's face lit up immediately. He said, that's a great idea. And he called his wife, who was back in the kitchen. He said, hey, honey, come here. This guy wants to throw a birthday party for Agnes tomorrow night. And the wife came back out from the kitchen, and she had a huge smile on her face, and she grabbed his hand. She said, that's a wonderful idea. I know this sounds strange, but she really is a nice person. And she's done many wonderful things for people. No judgment. That's probably true give y'all a minute to catch up. Okay. Tough crowd, man. First service, love that one. Come on, everybody. We're doing this. This is my job. The cook in the apron, he insisted on baking and decorating the cake, and Campolo said he'd get some decorations. And so the next day after the conference, he bought some crepe paper and some streamers, and he made a poster board sign with the words, Happy Birthday, Agnes, written on it. And the next night, early in the morning, Campolo and the cook and the wife decorated that diner. 
And as the hours went by, it became very apparent that word had gotten out on the streets of Honolulu. By 3 a.m., the place was packed. Every fallen woman in Honolulu seemed to have showed up. And when Agnes walked in, the dinner erupted in unison with a loud, happy birthday. She was completely stunned. And then the group launched into the birthday song, and as the last verse came to a close, the cook came in from the kitchen with this amazing multi-tiered birthday cake with 39 blazing candles on it. And when she saw that cake, that's when Agnes lost it. She began to tremble, and tears flowed down her face face and she couldn't move. She couldn't say a word. The cook was uncomfortable. He said, blow out the candles, Agnes, blow out the candles. And she just stood there paralyzed. Blow out the candles, Agnes. If you don't blow them out, I will. And the cook did. He actually blew out the candles for her. And then he immediately moved on to the next thing. Cut the cake, Agnes. Cut the cake. And that's when Agnes finally got her breath. Hey, let me keep the cake, she said. Can I keep the cake? I've never had one before. Can I just keep it for a little while? She picked the cake up off the counter and the crowd parted as the first birthday cake that Agnes had ever received walked out the door with her She held it like it was the most precious thing in the world. And when the door closed behind her, that diner was completely silent. No one moved. No one said a word. Even this preacher who was used to being in front of crowds didn't really know what to do. And finally he said, what do you say we pray? So at 4 a.m. in a greasy spoon in Honolulu, he led all of them in a prayer, a reverent, respectful, heartfelt prayer. They prayed that Agnes would be comforted. They prayed that the Lord would bring her peace, that God would plant his joy in her, that Christ would fill her life with the power of his own life. And when they had all said amen, another heavy hush fell over the room. And once again, it was the cook who broke the silence first. Hey, you never said you were a preacher. What kind of a church do you preach in? And in that moment, the Holy Spirit gave Tony Campolo the perfect words in the perfect time. I belong to a church, he said, that throws birthday parties for prostitutes at 3.30 in the morning. No, you don't, the cook answered. I would join a church like that. And the thought that has never left Campolo's spirit and the thought that has never left mine since the first time I heard that story was this. Who wouldn't? Who wouldn't want to be part of a church like that? That, my friends, is the church of Jesus Christ. It's a church that's not just for our friends, not just for people who are like us. It's a church where the strong are brought down and the weak are lifted up. 
It's a church where everyone is invited, sinners, tax collectors, the crippled, the lame, the blind. It's a church where the people who are rarely invited to any of the world's parties are given a special invitation so that the master can say directly to them that they are loved, that they are worthy, that they are precious in God's sight. Go out at once into the streets and lanes of the town, Jesus says. And bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. Go out into the roads and lanes and compel people to come in so that my house may be filled. May God grant us the courage and the will and the love to be that church. 